The Run Culture podcast has always been a passion project. It was created to share stories and experiences, to educate runners and to grow the sport. Ultimately, to show that running is cool. The podcast has provided us all opportunities to listen and learn from some interesting people in the running world. Welcome to the Run Culture podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I am an all-out running fan and an accredited running coach, a marathoner myself and an experienced physiotherapist that specialises in treating runners. So, before we get right into the show, if you have enjoyed any of the previous episodes of the Run Culture podcast and they have added value to your life and you want to support the podcast going into 2021, then we have a Patreon page. It's linked to in the show notes. A small monthly donation will go a heck of a way to keeping the show alive. By doing so, you too can also feel fulfilled that you are doing your bit to promote and grow the sport. Also, for those runners interested or in need, links to my online strength and conditioning course for runners or run therapy, my physiotherapy clinic, are also in the show notes. Alas, enough from me. Here's this week's interview. Welcome back to another episode of the Run Culture podcast. Today, I'm very lucky to be chatting to a very experienced and established coach from the Knox Athletics Club. He's been around the distance running scene forever and a day. As he says on his Instagram, he's a father of three, husband of one, coach to many, including Abby Caldwell, who in particular had a breakout season. Welcome to the podcast, Gav Burren. Thanks, Dane. Love the introduction there. Been around for ages. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, on that, I was trying to find out a little bit about your own running career and and uh, how you got into running. Um, and I tried to scroll the internet, but I couldn't find much. Um, how did it all start for you? Um, yeah, you probably go probably got to go back before the internet, mate. Really. <laughs> Um, so it kind of, it kind of started for me being uh, growing up in the UK. Um, everyone played soccer or football, as we called it uh, over there. Um, and being okay but not great at it, um, and kind of wasn't particularly fast, but had some endurance. Um, being about kind of maybe thirteen or fourteen at this age, maybe, and was kind of pushed into an athletics club by my geography teacher, by, of all people. Um, the, PE t- the PE staff um, didn't really see <laughs> any potential there, and, I, and, and, and quite rightly so, because I wasn't that good um, initially. Um, but I kind of I kind of applied myself, and, uh, and I, look, I did okay. I probably trained, I know that I trained too hard, too fast, and got results too quickly. I ran for... I made it as a junior international a couple of times. Um, kind of ran 3.48 when I was 16. Um, and really didn't get a lot quicker. Had a few injuries, got down to 3.47, 151. Um, and then started to have some hip problems. And uh, yeah, kind of struggled with it after that. Stayed in the sport, um, but just couldn't get back. Um, and then had a kind of fairly dramatic shift in life, ended up coming to Australia on a, uh, on a trip as a guide runner, a bit like uh, what Jared uh, Clifford's been experimenting with. with. Um, and, uh, and I came out on a, like a four-week trip with a totally blind athlete. Um, 
as his guide and guide runner um, and kind of fell in love with Australia and fell in love with one of the natives, really. And, uh, yeah, I went back I, I went back home and then we kept in touch and then ended up coming back out and stayed in Australia. And that's kind of how I got to, uh, to be... Um, I've just got a dog coming to say hello. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I said, hey, big boy, that's Hunter. Hey, I, Hunter. I said that was going to happen. So um, that's pretty much um, that's pretty much how I ended up in Australia. Um, yeah. Carried on with club sports. Um, struggled to get back into any real kind of form and carried injuries. But always passionate about the sport. And kind of uh, kind of struggled to get interested in any other sport. Really, I still to this day struggle to to watch too many other support sports. Really, I can't I can't sit through a game of football without without forcing myself to do it. So, um, and then kids came along. They got into the athletics. I started running again. They kind of drifted out of the sport and. I was getting too old to run then, so I kind of drifted into coaching. Um, I'd done probably about 10 years of the last coaching with the junior development squad. Um, had lots of um, kind of really good experiences there. Um, and then ended up at Knox helping Richard Huggins. And, uh, and then he kind, of, he kind of mentored me to take over that, that role. Um, and uh, that's where I still am. I quite, I quite feel like I haven't filled his shoes yet, but I'm trying to. He had big shoes. <laughs> yeah, and he was around around the club for ages as well. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, he he was good because he kind of taught me that there's a bit more to it than programming and uh, you know the the metrics of the sport. There's a, he kind of taught me. Uh, had a had a like that it was pretty much all relationship based really yeah. like it, it's kind of strike a relationship build a relationship um and and then that's when you can make really good, good things happen you know uh, otherwise you might as well just have a program of, online really yeah. so um and I, and I tend to i tend to be you know every athlete that i have been successful with i think is primarily based because we have a rapport uh, relationship and that allows it to grow yeah it's interesting like um i've interviewed a few coaches now um on the podcast and that used to be one of my biggest questions was oh so what's your favorite training session to give and um but then like soon soon like being a relatively young coach myself soon soon realized that um the common theme was a lot of the coaches kept saying it's not so much about the training. Um, it's more about, yeah, getting that good rapport with your athlete so that you can understand how, how they're coping with the training and, and, and you're sharing, you know, everything and, um, they're enjoying the sport. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, I think kind of probably the coach's number one job is to, is to engage the athlete and create an environment for 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 them to to grow and and want to come back to on a you know want to you want to keep them in the sport and make them enjoy it. You kind of 
yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of of uh, just kind of getting athletes to grow a bit more holistically rather than just uh, making it more training based. So yeah, but uh, I think there's a big rush out there for a lot of especially young athletes to to do a lot of running and um, and maybe no, don't need to do it. Some do, some don't. Um, but it doesn't. It's not my model, really. So. I was watching an interview uh, that Abby Caldwell did. In, it would have been one of her first interviews, I guess, in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, she won the state 3,000-meter championships in 940, and the interviewer asked, oh, how many times are you training per week? And she said two or three. Uh, she's had a breakout season this, this year, Um it, it must have been fulfilling so far. Um, the journey that you, you've you've um... she's not doing she's not doing much more than that now anyway. Oh really? <laughs> no, maybe a little bit more, but not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Look, I, I think I think um, athletes like Abby Caldwell, you know, they're obviously super super talented, and they she probably could have been a lot a lot better a lot sooner. But we might not be where we are today if we brushed it. So, um, not not to say that she didn't have a lot of success as a junior. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I actually did. <laughs> I did. I did have a, a, a quite a quite well-known coach in Queensland tell me that uh, <laughs> tell, tell me that uh, she wasn't that good as a, as a junior. <laughs> yeah, I've done a brilliant job with her. So, um, and she was she was really competitive as a junior. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, something about uh, <laughs> uh, 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 made a silk purse out of a sow's ear. I think that was the <laughs> quote. <laughs> we, 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 I'm going to that one. I've kept that one. <laughs> I've well, kept that one for later. Did you right. see the season that she's just had? Did you see that coming this soon? Um, nah, to be honest. Um, I think, I think, I think we could have seen a, a better Abby Caldwell maybe when she went to World Juniors in 2018, but um, maybe some health problems there leading into that, which is pretty common for for girls of that age. Um, with with some some blood work, and we actually found out that she had uh, she'd had glandular fever um, after after the after the games. Um, so yeah, look, I think we probably would, could have seen a four twelve a couple of years or four twelve a year or so ago, um, and um, and this might not have seemed quite as um, stunning, um, but yeah, definitely we were we, we're we're very happy with where she's where she's come. Um, and to be honest, I, I haven't increased her training load um, in the last um, probably eighteen months. Really, she's just been able to execute sessions at a much higher level. So um, we, we think there's still a lot more to come there. In the end, she was pretty unlucky to miss out um, uh, at, on Tokyo, like to get a get a spot. Um, how have you guys coped with that? Um, well, we're still waiting for some uh, feedback from the. From the selectors, um, obviously we accepted that decision, decision and didn't protest it, um, and that was on some advice. And we might, we, with hindsight, we 
might have protested that, but I don't know. Um, like I said, we didn't we didn't start the season expecting to make the Olympics, um, and it wasn't until probably maybe March that we realised that things were starting to open up. Some of the competitors were struggling with injury. Um, and Abby was coming into some form and, and she was kind of taking every opportunity. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, it's been difficult to kind of to get that close. And uh, we, thought, we thought that there was enough done, but obviously the selectors didn't. So, yeah. That's I guess that's sport. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's sport. Mm. <laughs> I saw, and, and, and the fact that she's 19 and run a 407.6, um, that's just incredible. Um, mm. Is that the second fastest ever by an Australian um, yeah, well, teenager? Yeah, well, I think, uh, I think Georgie Clark's the, the, the quickest. So, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I stand, I'm ready to be stood corrected on that one if there's any buffs out there that... Yeah. Um, we couldn't find any other any other time, so yeah, I kind of maybe took a bit of poetic license on that one. That was a bit of ma- <laughs> bit of marketing, I guess. And then it looks no like she's corrected me yet. So she's been training with Melissa Duncan a bit, and uh, and looked like yeah, um, look, Lyndon Melissa, Hall as well. Yeah, there's a really good kind of uh, um, hub of girls there that are working together. Um, basically. Um, it was it was just before the lockdown in Victoria, um, and I remember the phone call quite vividly from uh, Abby's dad, um, Andy, calling me saying, "What what do you think we should do?" And we kind of made a bit of a decision to get in the car and just start driving. So Andy, uh, Lyndon, Melissa, and Abby just got in the car and basically drove across the border. Yeah. So they had to they had to. Uh, they had to uh, quarantine, kind of quarantine. Uh, I think we and I had to follow Victorian restrictions up in New South Wales for two weeks. So they stayed up there, trained there, and then tried to get into Queensland for the meets. Missed the first meet and got up there for the second meet. Um, so it was quite it was quite challenging, but but also good in a way that they actually kind of got to spend some time together. Um, and uh, yeah, I think there's a good kind of uh, friendship group there now that that um, they'll be able to call on each other in the coming seasons to help each other out and and train and race together. Yeah, that, that's the plan anyway. Yeah, that's 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 fantastic, and um, yeah. it definitely definitely um, the group dynamic um, uh, when it comes to distance running, like seems to be like such a big part of like any successful uh, runner they seem to have like a good group behind them uh, yeah yeah like what you've done at the police paddocks every Saturday for um, oh, I don't know how many how many years now um, but oh, I don't know yeah that looks like a great know. great ritual great routine um, and any athlete that I treat of yours they they love the police paddocks um, uh, like why, why did you start that kind of training regime and, and how well, did it start? Well I, didn't, well, I didn't start it, really. It was That had been going a long time before me with Richard Huggins and uh, Nicky Frey and Tim O'Shaughnessy. So they, they were kind of the, uh, 
I guess they were the instigators of, of that kind of collaborative uh, um, coaching model that um, Melbourne seems to do a lot better than maybe the other states. Um, I think New South Wales is kind of coming around to it a bit better now, but they used to be a lot more stable-based than what uh, Melbourne was. Um, but, yeah, well, I think I think there's a really good culture of cross-pollination in, in Melbourne that works really well. Um, I think once you come to the realisation that training is training um, and racing is racing, you know, if you can dial it in and dial it out depending on where you are, then you're, you're going to get a good benefit. And there is there's a time to train in small numbers and there's a time to train in, in, in groups. And, yeah, there's benefits to both. So Yeah, yeah. That's what I think. But, but that, that model um, of training on uneven, uneven kind of, the roads kind of uh, kind of works really well. It's, it's almost like strength training for runners. Um, I try I try to incorporate grass, road, track, and dirt within a week. Um, and obviously, I, I try and limit as much hard stuff on the road as we can. Uh, but the, but roads really good for thresholding um, and the track. But uh, yeah, I think I think keeping keeping athletes running on different surfaces is really good. I don't know what your thoughts on that. Oh yeah, I I agree. Like especially coming from like more a physio um, point of view, um, like in terms of injury prevention, um, if your body's always you know somewhat used to like different terrain and different surfaces, and then you just run slightly differently, use different muscles, land differently. So there's that variety. And running such a repetitive sport, so um, yeah, just having having that um, variety um, like is so important. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I mean, we've gone through phases where we've like it, it obviously closer to you know uh, competition phases in the summer. We spend more time on the track than what we would do, but um, I'm always I've always got my eye on the grass, and I've always got my eye on the dirt as well. Um, and, and hills, like we'd do a police pad, paddock session, you know, we'd have a milers coming up on a Tuesday and, and we'll do we'll do a Saturday police paddock session. We just modify it. So it's almost like, it's kind of like a bit of a, a bit of a pattern, a bit of a routine. It, 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 it's, uh, and it doesn't really matter if it's on a track or on the dirt. We, we, they get references from how well they're running around there. So, yeah, but, uh. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's kind of a model that's been around forever. Really, it's probably a Lydiard kind of model to run hills on a Saturday and uh, you know make sure you're changing the terrain that you run on. And like with um, mixing up the surfaces, do you also um, in, in a typical training week are you always sort of mindful of uh, covering most aspects um, of of speed or are you sort? Do you sometimes uh, just have a block where you focus on strength um, for your, the runners that you coach, um, or are you always somewhat doing stri- strides and and hills and and then yeah, strength work? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of, I, I, I rarely do. I'd rarely do a session that doesn't have some kind of speed element in there, um, and, and that's a pretty broad term. Speed, I know. My speed is probably not anything like Justin Rinaldi's speed. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we're always doing strides and probably finishing sessions and reps quicker at the end and cuddling down. I, I, I love I love kind of blending sessions. So we we uh, we do a lot of kind of um, fresh oldie volume work at the start of a session and then kind of cut down and play around with the variables as we go. Is that kind of um, training that you've um, uh, learned just along the way or is that something that you, you did when you were a young, youngster? I, I, don't do, I don't do any of the training that I used to do <laughs> because I was always injured and always sore. And I, look, I ran fast as a junior, but I didn't go anywhere with it. So I think, uh, you know, it was just everything was at race pace. Everything was super fast. Uh, um, everything was pretty much in spikes. You know, we were kind of looking up to guys like Co and Ovet and looking at their training models. And I don't know whether it, half of it was true, but you, you you wouldn't you'd read what someone like Co was doing. And even as my coach would have looked at that and said, "Oh, let's do three eight hundreds at at fifteen hundred meter race pace," you know. And it's just like, is this really hard? You know, so now now we do a lot more kind of volume, um, a lot more a lot more volume, a lot more variation, um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'd probably I'd probably not do a standard eight four hundred kind of session. Yep. There goes the dogs. <laughs> Don't worry, Remy. My dog was going before as well. So. <laughs> I'll throw a pillow at them or something. <laughs> they'll, go, they'll go off in a minute. I think it's my wife coming home from work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's um, so, yeah, I know um, one of the most influential coaches I've ever had was, um, his name was Pete Swallow. And um, yeah. yeah, he he was a good coach because he um, learnt from his experience as a runner and he couldn't run by the time he was 22 like he did his mm. first marathon at 13 years of age and I think he'd done something like 14 marathons by the time he was 20. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, I think that makes some of the best coaches is they, like you sort of, you learn from experience and um, everything not to do. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess you have to, yeah, you've got, you've got to learn from your mistakes. Um, you know, and, and hopefully you can, you can pass some of that knowledge on. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think it's being open to it's being open to new ideas as well. Um, I mean, I, when, when I first started coaching, I, I kind of uh, like I kind of I didn't really I didn't 100% buy into Richard's training uh, model, which was kind of heavily based on the, the the I guess it was I guess it was kind of based on maybe uh, maybe kind of Nick Bado um, standard Aussie kind of session yeah but a bit more a bit more blended but but it definitely influenced me and i and, and i could see the and i could see the the uh the reasoning behind it but i i kind of i kind of i kind of just put my my kind of swing on it i i was really i was really kind of influenced by frank Horwell as a coach um back in the uk he wasn't my coach but after like reading about him he kind of um, I like the concept of his five tier system, um, and that was a big influence on me. And probably more recently, Steve Magnus, as as I kind of read Steve Magnus, and and a lot of that kind of resonates with me as a coach. 
yeah, yeah. I like his approach. He's got a fantastic podcast. Um, I'm always listening to it. Um, mm. Yeah, mm. and yeah. it's four coaches. Um, yeah, I, I've I've learned a lot from him as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What What did you learn from? Was, did you say it was Frank Hallwell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the five tier uh, system? Oh, well, that's just training at all paces, really. It's yep. trying to it's kind of work your way through from you know five k, ten k pace down. So it's just incorporating different pace training within your training, uh, whatever you're doing. Um, yep. So, and I guess it totally can, it's open to interpretation. It's not that prescriptive. Um, yep. So it just leaves you a lot of room to to massage and adapt um, the training to suit the athlete, which I kind of like. So, what about um, what Timo Shaughnessy? Have you what what um, have you learnt from? Like all that time spent just at police paddocks with Tim. Apart apart from turning up every Saturday, that's that's probably a pretty valuable life lesson. Turn up, just yeah. keep turning up. Yeah. Look, I, I, I think Tim very much like Richard. Um, it is is such a great communicator, and um, he's he's really engaging. He really knows how to how to kind of have some fun with his athletes, but actually get the best out of them as well. He's like, I don't know how many people, I don't even know how many people he coaches, but I think it's heaps. I think he's got athletes everywhere. Um, but he's always calm. He's never stressed. Um, and, you know, he just he just gets his athletes to get on with it and they seem to really look up to him. So I think that's, uh, that's probably another thing that a coach has to do to be successful is to, is to get buy-in from the athlete. If the athlete doesn't trust and want to follow and uh, and be challenged, then it's not going to work. Yep, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's um, like so true. I'm reading this book at the moment. Um, it's called Winning, um, and it's by um, mm. Tim Grover. He was the trainer of Michael Jordan, um, mm. and it's it's really interesting because it's uh, completely thrown me with like how I thought that you had to be to sort of coach or or um teach someone to be successful because like obviously like you have to be a good listener and you have to i always thought that you have to look out for someone's health um and really be mindful of that as well as trying to make them better um in whatever field you're trying to aim to be better at um but in this book he suggests like he interviewed all these like he interviewed michael jordan uh uh, Kobe Bryant um, and all these other su- successful people in their fields, and he he asked them what do you th- what does winning mean to you? And and they all seemed to, they all said um, like like when I he asked the reader as well, and I said oh it means uh, kind of like euphoria, like um, like you just like that amazing feeling of satisfaction. Um, you finally achieved what you wanted to achieve, but they all answered. Um, uh, it's everything, um, uh, uh, unhindered, um, unapologetic, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was interesting to to read. That was only I've only a couple of chapters in. Um, mm. Like, uh, do you think some people go to 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 greater lengths to to try to be successful? Oh, yeah, I, I yeah for sure, and I guess. Uh, like I guess, how do you what what do you define as winning? 
you know we, we can't all win the race but we could we can run a pb or we can run a year without getting injured that would be a great win for a lot of athletes out there yeah um so i guess it's it's trying to it's trying to capture what what's what's a win yeah you know for michael jordan yeah it's it's winning the nba finals or you know what yeah. being an mvp but for joe blow that you know wants to break 50 minutes for a 10k that's that's winning as well isn't it yeah really yeah but, uh, and, and i guess as coaches we can kind of get we can kind of we have to be careful not to model that training um that, that we're giving to the the better runners to the to the runners that are coming through you know yep. uh i mean it definitely the 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 more the more coaching that you do the more you realize that it, it's you, you've kind of you've kind of got to act you kind of got to engage you know cerebrally with them and get them to think about you know what you want them to achieve rather than just say that's just, if you do that session you'll run that time yeah you know you need to try and I, mean, I quite often do sessions that kind of help bridge the gaps. I mean, that's probably Abby's been ready to run well for a, a while now, um, and everything was there. We could see it in training, but she just hadn't joined the dots together, you know. So it, it's kind of like all of a sudden they have a breakout run and they go, "Oh shit, <laughs> I can do that! I can do that now!" And then that changes and it opens up pathways. To, to believe that they can run a bit better or that, that gap to wherever they're going to isn't quite as daunting. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, there's, this year with Abby in particular, there's, there's a massive change, not, necess- not necessarily in her physicality and her training load, although she's been able to execute sessions a lot better. Um, I, I would say the biggest change is, is mentally. You know, she's she's just um, a lot more switched on about a lot of the other stuff around the running that she needs to she needs to take care of, um, and she's not afraid to go and race people that have got quicker times than her, as well. So that's that's uh, you know I think I think it's interesting um, what she said um, after after nationals where she came second behind Lyndon. Um, and I've watched the race multiple times, um, <laughs> and, and with about 120 to go or 110 to go, she's actually looking like she's about to go. Um, and when we spoke to her, her after that race, she kind of said, I looked up and then it was Lyndon was in front of me and I kind of hesitated for a bit and said, I can't really go after Lyndon. Um, <laughs> And then she would, then she did, and then she got halfway down the home state and realised, no, I can't go after Lyndon because I've got <laughs> nothing left. But that, it's funny that split second um, where she didn't think that she could do it, and I guess that's filling in the gaps. You know, it's like that's the next gap for someone like Abby is to, you know, I, at the same time we don't. I, I don't think it's easy to fall into a trap of linear improvement. Um, even though she's improved five seconds a year every year since I coached the M1500, I'm not putting that down to me. That's down to her. Um, but I've I've given her an environment where she can do that. Um, but I, I think coaching is um, it's easy to fall into that linear trap um, 
you know. I think athletes probably need to grow out a bit more than just go up in a straight line. Yeah. So I guess that's that's our, that's our journey in the next couple of years to get more resilient, put more strings in the bow, put more tools in the toolkit, and just be more prepared for what's going to come. Ah, that's that's awesome. In the meantime, I've got I've got I've got some other kind of exciting athletes coming through. Um, Lockie Hurd is an athlete that um, I work with now. He's had a breakout season as well, if you like. Um, I think he was 353 last year. He was 345 this year. Um, massive improvement, and he, he's just loving it. Um, so yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm enjoying my coaching at the moment. What's your favourite part about coaching? Um, I'm not going to say winning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, not win. Not, it's not win. It's just to to be honest. I, I think I think uh, the favourite part of coaching is uh, there. You go the things. Um, I, I guess it's the relationships. I guess it's like I've still got athletes that. Um, well, they're not athletes now, but I'm still I still see them. Um, they still come around for a drink or dinner, um, keep in contact. Um, you know, friendships that you that you make with people. I still there's kind of lifelong relationships that you have with people. Um, that, that's probably you know I mean the competition side of it is really exciting um, when it goes well, but it doesn't always go well. <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, no, like, um, yeah, it's it's a sport where like um, sometimes those ups are so far, or they're sometimes they're years apart. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's difficult. Yeah, it's a difficult sport. Um, but I think you've articulated it really well. Um, yeah, I was I was wondering like what like you mentioned earlier. Um, uh that you're, you're aware of like not always just trying the same thing and, and just being aware of like being open-minded and, and trying new things mm. um, of late, like over the last couple of years or last year or re recent times, like what's some new things that have really interested you in, in coaching or where have you really tried to, or where have you really feel like you've de developed or, or you've um, yeah, tried something different that you wouldn't have done early on in your coaching career? Yeah, look, I, I think uh, I think definitely I, I, I don't feel the same pressure I did when I first started coaching to to come up with really um, definitive sessions. You know, I think when you first start as a coach, it's all got to be written down and it's all got to be, you know, really prescriptive. Um, and I think as well, you know, most, I mean, my journey is pretty much, um, been junior development coaching really, and, I, and I'm kind of. I, I've had a few really good juniors um, that have got as high as they could get, and then dropped out of the sport for whatever reason. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm kind of. This is a new chapter for me, hopefully, with uh, with some open age athletes that, that are starting to have some success. I think it's not. It's being afraid to give them something simple. And it's being not being afraid to give them something that's easy and not challenging. You know, I think especially for kids, it's kind of, you kind of feel like I've got to give them a session on Tuesday, and I've, they're coming on Thursday, and they're coming on Saturday. So 
that was me as a as an early coach trying to fill the gap you know on a real kind of macro cycle rather than looking at the big picture uh, it's like I, I, I like sometimes I'll just have a, a, a an easy run on the Thursday because it fits I'm not afraid to do that now where maybe maybe three or four years ago I might have challenged myself to come up with something a bit more a bit more uh, a bit more stimulating for them I think but I just didn't need it yeah, I think no, that's that... probably where I've changed the most is 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 going back to some some basic kind of training models really, rather than trying to come up with like a a PE session, you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, because you just kind of like, uh, and I'm I'm like a big fan of rest. I think rest is really underrated. Um, we, all, most of my guys don't train on a Friday. Um, the younger ones anyway uh, and if they are it's, a, it's an easy run so um, I kind of like that model I don't I don't force I don't force doubles some of the some of the older athletes that I've coached before kind of feel the need to do doubles because everyone else is doing doubles um, but uh, yeah I, I think you move on to that when you're ready to move on to it and uh, I think athletes kind of feel like they need to follow a a prescriptive model of I've got to get to 100 k's, you know, as soon as I can, and then I've got to get 150 k's, and then I've got to do 180 k's. So, like I said, that linear growth is uh, is maybe a bit of a trap. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely, and um, yeah, like the the nature of like um, a distance runner, they're normally so keen anyway. Um, most of them, and and yeah. They're not keen to take a rest day. Um, so, yeah. So, like, yeah, no, that's... No, it's that fear of missing out, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know, um, I think if you can sell that, you know, it's it's better to run for a year and do 50Ks a week than do 80Ks a week and be injured for two-thirds of the year, <laughs> you're on to a winner. Yep. Yeah, it, it's like... Uh, just create something that's sustainable first before you try and push it. Yeah, I totally, um, uh, like, I, I really like what you said about um, that whole idea is it's, it's, it's not, like, just giving that simple or easy session. Um, like, I, I've already, like, you know, only been coaching for a couple of years, but felt in the same situation with a couple of athletes, knowing that they were fully expecting to train hard that day, but like me sort of like ha- sort of viewing the bigger picture was you know just keen for them to have a rest and um and just giving them you know a lighter session or or some time off and knowing that they w- yeah. they wouldn't like it um but I think that's that's the coach's role um um yeah I, I, as a physio I've sort of experienced it as well treating a few mm. um few uh patients that have seen gps and i think a gp often feels like they have to give some kind of prescription if they haven't given some kind of prescription um or referral then it like some some, some they feel pressured to give something and, and i've just had a few patients where um they've had a, an unnecessary referral or, or prescription given um sometimes it's all right to say oh no nah, all you need to do is rest or you don't need to do anything <laughs> um uh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, look, the body's pretty good at healing itself, isn't it, really? So sometimes, you know, and, and I think athletes never really buy into that adaptation model where, you know, progressive overload and, you know, to get that change, you've got to rest and let your body adapt. You don't get the, you know, the focus is always on the session and not the recovery, not what you're going to get out of the session. So, I mean... I'm not a big Strava fan. I'm, I, 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 I've never really, I've never really understood it. I think it's a good tool. Um, I think it's a good tool for coaches to track. Um, yeah. But I think it puts a lot of pressure on athletes to maybe not take a day off. Really. Yeah. So. Um, no, I agree. Um, a hard one now, Gav, and um, and and I'll make this the last one. Um, Who's the most talented athlete that you've ever coached? Um, that's a, probably a pretty hard one as a coach to answer. It's probably impossible. Um, look, if you'd asked me, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, I would have said Ryan Patterson. Yep. Um, and he was just phenomenally talented, um, but amazingly lazy. Even <laughs> uh, to the point when, on a Sunday run uh, at Listerfield, he would he would find a hiding spot in the in the forest and hide there um, <laughs> and miss part of the run. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think um, Abby is kind of yeah. I think she's a little bit special, um, and and hopefully. Hopefully we've only we've only just scratched the surface. And so, with some of the most successful um, athletes that you've seen, or or um, or you know played a part with, like, what are some of the attributes that you've noticed that really um, are common in 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 a in a distance runner um, that is uh, yeah. You know, achieving you know achieving what they want to achieve in the sport. Yeah, uh, I would say um, one is they love competition. They they just love to compete. Um, yeah. But but they also they also um, are able to be non-competitive in training. Like they kind of they're able to dial in and dial out that 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 uh, that. Um, psychological space that they need to be in to compete that ability to absorb the pressure of a big meet coming up during the week and and get ready like you can see that you can see them go through that kind of change in the face as they're on the start line they can just switch it on um and, and the ability to bounce back from a bad from a bad race you know that's probably the uh that's probably the the, the biggest one and uh yeah and, and again, kind of the really good ones uh, are kind of acutely aware of of, of not overtraining and, and knowing what their body's limits are. Yep. Uh, then I had to push it, but they also know, oh, oh I need to take a day off, or I need to go see a physio, or or that's not right. I let my coach know. That's probably they're probably the characteristic traits, you know, because you see a lot of young athletes that come through. Uh, you know, if they're really, really good when they're 10, 11, 12, it can, it, it's, not, it's not really a great predictor that they're going to be good when they're 18, 19, 20. Um, 
so yeah, like I, I think we, we kind of struggle in 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 our sport with junior sport, and the competition demands are really great. Um, but I, but I don't know what the other model is. I don't know how else it works. So yeah, look, going back to the original question, yeah, it's more probably up here than it is. Yeah, they're gonna have to have all the uh, physical attributes to be good. Um, but if they haven't got the mental stuff to go with it, they're going to probably struggle. It's funny because, yeah, Chris Wardlaw said exactly the same thing. Um, he said some of the um, uh, most successful athletes that he's been a part of just really had that internal dial and, and knew when to uh, really go hard and when to, to pull back. And he said mm. Steve Monaghetti had that um, uh, and Nick Harrison and... And a few other athletes, yeah, um, yeah. yeah just uh, yeah, and it's a, it's an underrated skill, I think. Um, yeah, so no, that's that's really good, Gav. Um, I'm wary. I'm of... running out of light here. Yeah, I'm yeah. To pay my pay my electricity bill. <laughs> <laughs> looks like I've got a, looks like I've got a candle. Next yeah, it looks to me, like but... you've got a candle next year. <laughs> hmm. I'm wary of the time. <laughs> um, I'm so so appreciative of you giving up this time to ha have a chat. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to mention or, um, or, or uh, if someone was interested in, um, yeah, reaching out to you, um, uh, yeah, um, yeah, to have a chat about running coaching or... Um, absolutely. Yeah, um, how can I, they contact more, you? More than that. Yeah, absolutely. More than happy to, to contact me. Um, um, you can probably find me on, on Facebook or Instagram and if you want to reach out that way. Um, and if anyone needs a good physio, give Dane Verway <laughs> a call. He's pretty good. Oh, I no. can recommend. <laughs> thanks, Gav. Um, um, no, th thanks so much um, for the chat. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah, some really valuable uh, advice um, and, yeah, so much experience to go with that advice too. So, um yeah, well, I hope I didn't waffle on too much. No, nah, no, nah, that that's where the gold is, and um, and, <laughs> and it wasn't waffling. Um, it was it was awesome to listen to. Um, All right. Yeah. So, no. Nah. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Dane. No, nah, thanks, Gav. Um, yeah, I'll round it up there. No worries. Cheers. Thanks. <laughs>